0: It's your boy, and welcome to episode 98 of the podcast. This is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others will also. And if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. Also, video podcast available now. I think we have everything dialed in. The video is looking good. The audio is back to normal. Uh, so if you want to check out the video podcast, you can on our website at thisismpod.com. That's thisismpod.com. You'll see the latest episode there. You can watch it on our website or click through to the YouTube channel where you can subscribe and all that good stuff. Um, dude, it is hot as shit in my place right now. I, I, I sat down and, I, of course, I have to have the fan off because of the audio, but Jesus Christ, I'm going to be sweltering by the time we're done here. I'm in that place where I can already feel um, I already feel muggy. I've been sitting here for two minutes and I already feel like I'm going to be glistening on this video. Um, we're not recording in 4K anymore, <laughs> but uh, the fidelity is enough that you just really can't hide shit, you know? I've actually thought about that as I've looked back at some of the videos very briefly as I edit them because I have to sort of color correct them or whatever, try to balance the the white balance or whatever the fuck. But um, um, yeah, it's it's very you know you don't know what you're missing until you get an upgrade, and so it's like when you were looking at yourself on the fucking Zoom recorded 720p video, um, it it just kind of is what it is. You just sort of accept the quality, but when you fucking upgrade to like a new iPhone camera that's shooting in like HDR you're like, holy shit, like, look at the fucking, the wrinkles, and high resolution, and, um, the pores, the big pores just staring at you in high definition, and, uh, yeah, so I'm just imagining that I'm going to be, um, glistening in this episode for the people who are watching the video podcast. (sighs) Um, well, it's just been hot in general anyway. I, um, as I'm getting ready to start another semester. So actually, maybe I should start there. So I finished summer school on Friday. I uh, did a year's worth of Chinese in 12 weeks. So, you know, I'm fluent, essentially, <laughs> hardly. Uh, and, and actually, as I'm finishing my second semester, I actually feel like, in some ways, I feel less confident about my Chinese now than it, than I did at the end of the, quote, first semester. Um, I think by the the last like three weeks there, I was pretty just burnt out on you know having class for three hours every day and doing like three or four hours of homework every night and um you know it it 's just kind of washing over you at the end you 're not really retaining anything, so I already felt nervous enough having to start intermediate Chinese here in about a week and a half after just sort of you know, rushing through an entire year's worth of Chinese and just not being up to par with the other students who had spent all of last fall and spring studying the language. So I made myself a little curriculum here to review uh, all the uh, vocabulary and test materials um, in the next week and a half. So there's like, you know, 20 chapters, I can do two a day and there are 10 tests. So I can do one test a day and two chapters of vocab every day, just sort of preparing myself. Uh, It's not going to get me to where I would like to be, especially the, the worst part, the part that scares me the most actually is writing the language. You know, I, you know, the assignments that were given to practice writing Chinese characters are so scant. Um, and even though we're tested on it to some degree, like very, very minimally we're tested on our ability to write the characters, you know, you can, uh, you know, I would practice writing each character like a hundred times. And that sounds good, but you don't retain that information, you know? It actually says something about maybe not just the way that we learn languages, but the way that we learn anything in our American school system, which is, you know, I've said it many times, I got an A in statistics, I can't tell you shit about statistics. I got an A in calculus, I can't tell you shit about calculus. I got an A in two semesters of chemistry, I don't know shit about chemistry. But you learn in such a way that you can regurgitate the information, and you you retain it long enough uh, to, to regurgitate it on a test, but you haven't really learned it. Now, unfortunately, the pace I've had to learn Chinese at, I've had to use that, you know? So, I can practice a character enough that if I need to do it, I it's in my short-term memory. But, you know, just going back and looking at, like, the first couple chapters of vocabulary. Uh, to be honest, a lot of that stuff is foundational. You've seen it a thousand times by now, so you do get it. Like, the, you know, the pronoun stuff. Like, I, me, you, hello, all that sort of shit. But even then, there's, like, vocab words where I go, oh, fu- I completely forgot about that word. And uh, so, I don't know. I'm just... Um, I always do this. I tell myself horror stories as if I'm going to show up and... I mean, if anything, if I really think about it, I should be at an advantage because most of the people in that class haven't had a Chinese class in two months, right? They've been off for the entire summer. Meanwhile, I've just taken the materials and I have a week and a half off. So who knows? I may be pretty well situated, but... um, But I can't help it. I feel insecure about it. So, um, And maybe also just needing to keep myself busy. I have, uh, you know, a week and a half... I, I should just give myself permission to, to do nothing and, like, play video games. I've done a little bit of that, which is why that jumped to mind so quickly. But, um you know, your boy likes staying busy. Your boy likes... I've enjoyed studying, actually. Um I enjoy doing nothing as well, but I've actually enjoyed studying. Even as I review... <laughs> I don't know why, especially... I don't know, I feel like I have to learn each lesson I learn a thousand times, but you know, the hardest thing is to just start doing something. Once you're actually doing it, it's very easy. You know, I had some errands to run today. Maybe we'll talk about some of that. But, uh, you know, I, like I said, I'm reviewing two chapters of Chinese and, and reviewing one of the tests, uh, every day. And, uh, you know, it's about seven thirty now. And at six o'clock I was like, Oh, you haven't reviewed your test yet. You have to do it. I kept putting it off, putting it off. I finally just forced myself to start and I finished it in 30 minutes you know, just reviewing the, the, uh, the test. And, um, you know, it's like, I don't know why I put it off so much, you know, it it should be very easy, but, uh, I guess there's just other things I'd prefer to do like, uh, studying chess. I've been studying a lot of chess recently. There's a great website called chessable. And, uh, you know, I've really, uh, I've been playing chess regularly for probably like five or six years now and i would say objectively i'm a weak amateur i would say i mean i'm you know most people who just know how to move around the pieces i'm probably better than but in terms of people who actually play chess or take a genuine interest in chess i would say i'm a weak amateur i think on chess.com which is the website i play the most on you know i oscillate between 1100 and 1200 for the most part i've i think i've you know i've been as high as like 1275 or something like that. But, uh, you know, I sort of move up and move up and move up. And then as soon as I reach about 1250 or so, I just start bleeding rating points and I fall all the way back to 1100. I think that's very common at, um, a sort of beginner chess level, but not that I need to be Bobby Fischer or anything, but there's a part of me that feels like, you know, I, I mean, I, 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 I have also told myself, that the goal of chess for me is just to enjoy it. If I ever stop enjoying it, that would be pretty sad because it's actually a nice respite for me throughout the day. I don't play super long games, which I think inhibits my progress. I think if I played slower and thought more critically about each move, I would sort of learn just in general. I think someone recommended that you should play at least games that are 15 minutes aside, maybe with like a 10-second increment, but I usually play five-minute games because it's like if I'm in the middle of homework and I want to take a break, I can't take... 30 minutes to play a game of chess or an hour, you know, when my girlfriend plays, she'll play like these, you know, she'll play 30 minutes aside, And it's like, that game could go, if everybody uses all of their time, that game's going to go an hour. Um, so I have to play like five minutes aside. So the most I can invest is like 10 minutes in a game and then I have to get back to work. But, um, but, uh, yeah, I've taken up a few sort of study courses on chessable that use like spaced repetition. So you learn things like I've been looking a lot at the Italian game, which is a very common beginner's opening to learn. It's the one I, I've sort of known the most about. I've looked at a lot of master games, like I have a, um, and I can see my computer's about to go to sleep. What the fuck, man? I thought I had everything, everything situated where I could just watch this timer the whole time, but that's okay. I'll just have to mark the time and, uh, try to do the, the math for myself in terms of where we finish here. But anyway, you don't care about that stuff, so I'm sorry to, sorry to distract you with that, uh, behind-the-scenes bullshit, but, um... Was I talking about chess? Who gives a shit, man? <laughs> I was talking about the Italian game. Oh jeez. Oh lord. I don't know. I guess the point is, is that if you like playing chess and you want to improve, go to Chessable or some bullshit. Yeah. Um. But yes, I've been spending some time looking at uh, the Italian game, looking at the different variations. You know, they show you the variations. You read commentary on the moves. And, uh, you know, it just has this interface where you sort of, um, you know, you, you play through the moves at space repetition and, and you look at different variations. You learn variations and it sort of, you know, at timed intervals, you go back and demonstrate that you have absorbed the material. And um, it's actually, uh, now that I think about it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's sort of insane to me when you look back at, you know, earlier periods of time, no matter what you're interested in. I'm talking about chess today, but it could be music, it could be photography, it could be music production, it could, filmmaking especially. You know, bef- before to do something, you really had to want to do it. Meaning if you wanted to be a filmmaker in like 1980 even, you know, it wasn't just a matter of using your iPhone and like running around and shooting something. Like you had to like have a camera, which was uh, very, very rare. And how were you going to edit it? you know, just insane. Hire actors, shoot something, lighting it. For something to be even uh, reasonably good was just a huge time and and technological investment. You had to really believe in what you're doing. Now, in some ways, I, I guess my mind is going to poker as well, which is if you were a poker professional in like 19, in the early 1990s, you know, there weren't that many of you. There were maybe like the top like 25 players in the world and you all like knew each other but everybody kind of had their game and it was kind of like a narrow lane. And, um, you know, the game wasn't, uh, I don't want to say solved, but there just wasn't the system in place for poker that there is now. I'm thinking about Texas Hold'em in particular, but, um, you know, with the advent of the internet, by the time somebody gets to a, you know, like like the, the, the World Series of Poker, regardless of how far they get, even to sit at one of the you, know, the, you know, I don't even know what you call them, but one of the preliminary tables, for lack of a better fucking word, you know, those people have played more hands of Texas Hold'em in like five years than some professional poker players had ever formally played in their entire career. And it's the same, same, same thing with chess. You know, before the advent of computers, and even, I would say, even in the early years of com- computer chess, you know, they were not very strong. So even if you played at the grandmaster level, there was a, you know, you were almost certainly better than uh, any computer that you were working against. Or trying to work with, for that matter. But, um, you know, by the time a young professional hits the tournament, they probably played more games of chess than like many former grandmasters ever played in their entire lives. Part of that is the time control. Like, chess just gets faster and faster. There are more rapid and blitz games. By the way, there's actually a rapid and blitz tournament happening now in St. Louis. Um, I was watching some of the live stream stuff yesterday. It's very interesting, actually. Um, but the point is. <laughs> The point is, uh, it's just insane what people are able to do as long as they just carve out the time for it. I think where I'm going with all this is, you know, there's this tool like Chessable, which is as long as you put the time in, like it will teach you uh, chess theory. You know, you just have to kind of absorb it. It's a very, I don't know, it's a very kind of low maintenance way of like learning things, you know. In a way, I'm kind of equating it to Chinese vocab which is before you used to kind of like make your own vocabs and, or make, uh, make your own flashcards, sorry, practice those things at intervals. But now it's like everything's an app. You know, there's just so many resources. You can go on YouTube and just like watch a video of people speaking Mandarin. You know, you can go on Netflix and watch Chinese shows and just listen. You can take movies that you know very, very well and just put on the, you know, Mandarin subtitles, if they if there are any, like on Netflix or HBO or something like that. There's just so many resources for everything, no matter what you want to do. If you want to play chess, it's there. If you want to learn a language, it's there. And it's all fucking free. You know, my buddy Gowan Matthews, who produced a lot of my music, was my engineer for years, that dude was better than, I would say, most people that I know at that stuff. And he's entirely self-taught. He not only taught himself how to do everything, he built his studio just like watching YouTube videos. You know, you don't need to go to some fucking bullshit recording institute school nonsense and pay, you know, who knows, $20,000 a year to fucking learn shit that you can, YouTube can teach you. Um, I don't know. It makes me wonder, like, what's, when I say you, I mean me, but (laughs) what's your excuse? Why aren't you doing the thing you want to do? Oh, God. And of course, as I'm saying that, of course, we're touching on this shit that we've been talking about for the last, like, month here, but, um, (sighs) Ah, everything's so easy, and yet why does it feel so hard? Mm -hmm. I guess as I'm sitting here, I know uh, my uh, teacher for Chinese next semester is actually a white dude, and for some reason I, I just imagine me like sitting across from him. One, being an adult student, I feel this sort of added pressure because there's really no excuses. You know, on the one hand, you're just a better student, I think, um, in general, because you're an adult, you're just not dealing with the same, you know, you're not in the same phase of your life as younger students are. And I remember being younger. There's, it, it you know, it, it doesn't sound like a lot, but there's a thousand things keeping you from being able to focus on school. Most of it's your social life. Uh, also the fact that you're still developing, like your body is essentially on drugs, you know, your brain isn't finished warming. um, you know, but it's like, I imagine, you know, trying to articulate to my instructor, well, it's, you know, it's been really hard for me to learn these Chinese characters. And he's like, hey, buddy, you have more tools at your disposal than I ever had. Right. And I learned it. Um, for some reason, my mind is going to this place where I, for, and this came up in my mind recently for some reason, maybe it was related to this topic. It was two successful people in some type of, I think it was a, in a YouTube context. They, they And they were, I think they were talking about people reaching out to them. I think it, w- it was probably like Tom Segura or something, just talking about like when young people reach out to you under the guise of asking for comedy advice, meaning he, I guess he used this analogy where he said he hears from so many young people who will like email him or approach him after a show. Uh, Tom, uh, Tom Segura is a standup comedian, by the way, if you don't know, he has a a really funny podcast, but, um, people will approach him and say like, Hey man, I got this material. I got like 45 minutes of material. Like, what should I do? And of course, you know, the only answer he has is like, get on stage. And they're like, yeah, but like, but like, what should I do? You know? And really what they're asking behind all that is like, what corners can I cut? You know? And before you think I'm just sort of talking shit about people, I'm bringing this up because I feel it in myself as well. I can't tell you, (laughs) I have so, I'm sure there were conversations that went great as well. Maybe it's just my, um, you know, my disposition where I only think about the bad stuff. But it's like, when I look back on the amount of time I've sat across from like relatively or comparatively successful people to me and sort of just talk shop, I realize a lot of what I was wanting... Out of those conversations was I wanted them to do some of the work for me. Now I don't want to completely disregard that. I think a fair amount of success is like one. It's this inevitability of you need, needing someone more successful than you to like provide you with an opportunity, um, or someone saying yes or opening a door a, 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 do- a door for you. But in some ways you're also wanting someone to save you from having to do the hard work that you're being faced with. Um, I'm trying to stop myself from saying this as it's coming up, but it like, it reminds me of like, you know, with someone like Matt Nathanson, which is, you know, there were times where I would just sort of like feel very acutely, whatever barrier I was facing in my you know, career for lack of a better word, knowing what I needed, knowing what I wanted, feeling, having a strong sense of what I need to accomplish to move forward into the next phase of whatever I was doing. Um, and in some ways it's like, I wanted to tell that person across from me, like, it's impossible. I can't do it. But you forget that you're sitting across from someone who's already done it. You know, you can't tell them that it's impossible because they've already gone through the exact same situation. You know, so whether it's music and I'm saying, oh, I can't, you know, build an audience. Uh, I can't find my music. You know, it's the Internet. It's inundated. And, you know, there's so much competition out there and there's Netflix and there's this and there's that. And there's so much material out there and, and, uh, you know, everything's competing for everybody's attention. Like it's harder than ever to find an audience and yada, yada, yada. You know, that's true. And you're talking to somebody who's already navigated the same thing. And even though it's not the same thing in, in terms of specifics, right? Like everybody has their own time period, but in some ways you think about how could it have been harder or how could it have been easier to find an audience in like 1990 or even the early two thousands where it's like, if you wanted to get booked at a venue, you had to like bring them a tape, you know, or if you wanted to talk to somebody, you didn't get to fucking tweet them or send them an email. Like you had to call that motherfucker on the phone, you know? uh, I don't, if you wanted to promote a show, you weren't just posting it on your fucking Facebook feed. You were putting up flyers and posters. Nuts. So if you can build an audience in that environment, what's to stop you from building an audience when you have all those tools at your disposal? So anyway, this is a fucking long-winded way of saying, you know, i I I wish there was something to save me from having to do the hard work of, like, (laughs) learning a language. (sighs) Anyway, I am getting ready for school. I, uh, I've spent so much goddamn money in the last... Gosh, even just the last couple days. I, uh... I showed you my backpack. I think it was last week, actually, that we looked at that. So I ordered a new one. (laughs) And uh, it's sort of funny. I, I was thinking about this. It relates to two things that I purchased recently. One's a bigger ticket item than the other. But I've talked in other episodes about how I'm, like, a very intuitive decision maker. Meaning, you know, I don't need... When it comes to shopping for a backpack, say, I don't need to spend hours and hours and do a ton of research and really think through, like, what I need. It's really enough for me to look at, like, a few options and just buy one. You know, I'll never have the basis of comparison. I I genuinely don't know what I'm missing and whatever I have, it will be serviceable. I mean, your boy had a fucking fucked up backpack with holes in it for how long did no, how long was the math for? Oh, like uh, 20, let's see, 15, 21 years. Is that, is that really how long I've had that backpack? I got it when I, or maybe I got it when I was 17, I'm 26. Oh, so 20 years. That's what it was. Maybe 21. I don't fucking know. I don't know. I'll feel embarrassed when I go back and do the math and it's, it's not even anywhere near approaching that. But, um, I've had the backpack for a long time. So your boy can, uh, deal with dysfunction for quite a while. Ooh, profound. Um, but, uh, yeah, bought a backpack off Amazon and, uh, yeah, very intuitive decision. But the point, oh, this is where it really, this is where it sort of plays out in a, in, in a real way, which is I also need to buy a bike because your boy needs to commute to school. And that's, uh, that's who your boy's going to be. I'm going to be the, your biker boy. And, uh, so, uh, went up to a bike shop here in town. And this is like my favorite thing in the fucking, I love this. Some, some people may think this is like, yeah, not how they would do things, but I love this about life. I love when this stuff happens. I walk into the store and a guy just goes, Hey, what can I help you with? I was like, I'm here to buy a bike. And he said, Oh yeah, what are you looking for? I said, I don't know. I just need something to commute to school. And he says, okay, well, I have these bikes over here. And it, I, he, he says, how much are you looking to spend? I said, well, how much are those? And he named the price and it was right in the middle of my range. And I went, oh, well, that's great. And I said, uh, okay, well, I'll get that one. <laughs> and, he's, and I said, the only thing about it is I'm not wild about the color. And he says, oh, I got a black one. And I was like, oh yeah, let me get that. And so basically I just go, okay, can I like ride it? And he goes, sure. Now this is the crazy part. I couldn't fucking believe this he just goes, yeah, you'll probably need a helmet too. And I said, well, I definitely needed to buy a helmet. But I was like, yes, I do. So he just takes a helmet out of a box and hands it to me. And he's like, yeah, the neighborhood, you know, he pointed in sort of westward direction or somewhere. And he goes, yeah, the neighborhood over there is pretty quiet. You can bike around there. I just walk out of the store with the bike and the helmet. And I'm like, there is nothing stopping me from just putting and just fucking biking home now and having a bike. And I thought that's fucking crazy like shouldn't they ask you for your driver's license or for an ID or some kind of collateral? I mean maybe I just have an honest face but I just couldn't believe it. It was you know I'm not a I'm not a crook myself uh but it was just one of those moments where it was almost so tempting. I, I wanted to do it. Um but anyway, the whole point is is that it was just like I walk in, I say I this is what I want and I get it. I don't want to shop around, man. I think we were talking about this in terms of the suit I bought recently you know, I don't want to ask a lot of questions. I don't want to do a lot of shopping. It's not the type of thing I want to spend energy and time and thinking on that. That shit doesn't matter to me. You know, whereas I was actually talking to my brother about another topic today. And, um, honestly, I don't think we're going to get to it uh, even by episode 100, but there's some big decisions I'm sort of faced with in my life currently, uh, outside of school, et cetera. And, um, you know, my brother was acknowledging, wow, it sounds like kind of a hard time. And I said, actually, you know what? It doesn't feel that difficult. And as I reflected on this decision, I'm sort of considering it. uh, It's something I've been thinking about very seriously for about eight months now. And my brother was sort of drawing on his own experience. And we were both talking about therapy and I don't think he cares if I say this, but he made some sort of, uh, you know, he was talking about something in therapy and the therapist asked him like, how long have you been thinking about that? he said, Oh, about three years. And she's, she sort of chortled, <laughs> which is a synonym for chuckle or something like that. If you, if you don't know that word, but she chortled. And, uh, and my brother was like, why is that funny? She says, well, most people don't think about a decision that long. And, uh, you know, my brother just sort of said it in passing, but after we got off the phone, I, I, I just sort of like marinated in my brain. And I, I sort of thought about that because maybe it just says a lot about how similar me and my brother are. Sorry, something's in my eye here. Um, But I marinate on decisions the exact same way. I mean, I've talked about this creative project I wanted to pursue. And I think I, you know, I I think I'm running out of excuses. I think I'm going to have to start looking at that again seriously here pretty soon. But that's been marinating on your boy's mind for six years. You know, and, um, you know, we're both very similar in the sense that we may waffle or sort of scratch our chins about something that we're considering. But when we act, we act decisively. You know, sorry if I've used the analogy before, and as I'm beginning to say, and I'm almost certain that I have, but I go back to this idea of the African Sengi, right? The Sengi. It's uh, basically like a fucking African rat (laughs) or like a little hamster. It's more like a gerbil hamster type thing. It's very tiny, but it spends all day making these tracks for itself that it runs across. And it has these tracks and it just sort of spends all day cleaning them and brushing them and cleaning debris so that when it's time to act swiftly, they can just trust that this path is there and just run down it very quickly. And in some ways, I feel like that is uh, you know, definitely me, apparently my brother also, but that uh, I can sort of marinate and ruminate and scratch my chin about a decision. But when it's time to act, I'm all in and there's like no going back. You know, there's so many important decisions in my life that I've made that way. And I guess I'm just trying to juxtapose that between, you know, the ability to make decisive action and choices, et cetera. Um, Or how should I say it? That there are some things I waffle and, uh, you know, uh, ruminate about for years. And then there's things I just couldn't care less about. Now, maybe everybody's that way. And you're thinking, why the fuck is someone talking about this on a goddamn podcast? But, um, (sighs) what can I say, man? This is M, dude. This is the shit that we do. I do wonder about that. Well, why the fuck? You know, I don't know. I sort of made a uh, disparaging comment about the podcast to my brother. I was just sort of reflecting on my life recently. And, and uh, as I look, uh, you know, I mean, there's, I'm just, I'm, there's a whole new chapter in my life starting. It has to do with going to a new school. But I also feel like it's because like maybe like because like Saturn's in retrograde. But it's like there's something in the cosmos where it's like I feel like, you know, things are just changing for me and uh maybe it's being thirty six I don't know what it is, but I'm entering into the next chapter of my life you know I, I felt it at thirty I felt this very palpable shift of oh, the next chapter is beginning, and I'm starting to feel you know that sort of uh like I'm preparing myself for that as well. I'm preparing myself to um uh, to be in a liminal ooh oh, I'm entering <laughs> so uh, Joseph Campbell, no who is that uh Who's the dude who has the liminality? Uh, starts with the G. I don't know some white some white dude school uh, scholarly bullshit uh, about rights a passage uh, liminality. What's his name? Starts with the G. I don't know. You're smart. You'll have to figure it out. Um, yes, I feel like I'm entering a liminal stage in my life where I will, I will be, 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 be betwixt in between two important chapters of my life, and uh, that's a scary place to be betwixt in between. There's like a Coldplay lyric where you're like uh, in between two trappies. which uh, a lot of people hate Coldplay. I have a fair amount of hate for them myself, but, uh, you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day. They got some they got some bangers actually. They actually have a new track called, dude, I, what is it called? Modern? No, what's it called? Oh, <laughs> uh, I love when I start talking about stuff and then I don't know where the fuck we're going with it. Um, They have some banger dude that I've listened to like a shit ton. And when I first heard it, I thought it sucked. And then um, I first heard it like on a Facebook video and it was super shitty. But then I saw like kind of a cool video. And I think it was shot like in, I think it was like a Korean dance team or something. And it was like professionally shot. It wasn't just like one of those like iPhone videos of somebody dancing to a song. It was like professionally choreographed. It had none of the band members. It was just like this, you know, video and I was like, oh, actually, there's a lot of fucking cool elements to this song. And so I just started playing that song on repeat on Spotify. And I can't even fucking think of what it's called. I can't think of how it goes. But anyway, it was kind of a return to form for them. I don't know. Like, I really liked Milo Xylido, if that's how you say it. Maybe not that whole record, but I thought there were some good jams on it. And um, and uh, why, the f- <laughs> why the fuck are we talking about Coldplay? Um, why the fuck are we talking about Coldplay? I I I don't know. I was talking about liminality. I was talking <laughs> talking about starting a new phase in my life. Um I don't know. <sighs> Man, I don't know. I gotta tell you though, it's so funny, like the minute you don't have shit to do, like your schedule just goes out the goddamn window. Like I've been up till three AM like the past like three nights. And I dude today I slept till eleven. Now, if you're 21, that's probably the order of the day for you. But God, when you're 36, the idea of sleeping until 11 just seems like you're fucking catatonic. I mean, I can't even believe I'm recording the podcast right now. You know, this is the time I always record it, but it's like it feels like I've only been up for five hours. It's crazy. I feel like my day is just like kind of, I feel like I'm like halfway through my day. But the truth is like the sun is setting, man. It's getting dark out here. It's fucking nuts. I'll probably be up till three today. And it's like, who cares? It's my summer break. But this is the part where you're getting fucking old, which is, you know, you know your uh, schedule can go to shit, but it's like, you better be careful, because in like a, a week and a half, you're going to have to be waking up early as fuck to get to school, and you'll be biking there, man. Oh, man. You know what I'm embarrassed about? I'm... <laughs> uh, I am I think I was starting to go down this road, and I know we're all over the fucking place today, folks, but um, I think as I was sitting, <laughs> when I first started and I was talking about sweating... I was, uh, my mind was going back to this place where when I took that bike out for like a test ride from the store, I went, I biked for like five minutes, you know, I maybe went like four blocks one direction and four blocks, bl- four, four, four blocks back, <laughs> four blocks back. And, uh, when I took my helmet off, I, and I think this is part of being a bald dude as well. Like there was a sweat on my scalp. Like, I was talking to the dude, very aware that my head was beaded in sweat. Now, I think we all sweat a lot. But when you're bald, you have to realize your hair is nature's bandana. Just mopping that shit up. When you're bald, that shit's got nowhere to go. It just rolls down your goddamn face. So I feel like, uh, you know, I already run hot. But it's like, I had sort of not considered... (laughs) Like, hey, man, when you bike to school, you got to give yourself some time or make sure you bring some bandanas to mop yourself with, because if you just bike to school and lock your shit up and walk into class, you'll be sitting there, like, you know, cooling down. You know, like, you might take off your fucking backpack and you just have that sweaty back thing. Like, I, when I, years ago, years ago, years ago, I was working at this restaurant, um, uh... It's sort of near this uh, college campus in the town I <laughs> currently live. I don't, I try to talk around where I live and all that sort of shit. I'm sure I've given everybody enough clues to fucking probably try my location and stick a butcher knife in my neck if they want to. But um, but uh, I was working at this restaurant. I worked there for years. And um, the crazy part about it was it was fucking gigantic. It had a huge outdoor patio, a huge indoor. And the fucking owner was so goddamn cheap. And the location was so fucking good. It didn't matter how... Quality of the food or the service was, it was just gonna make money. And uh, so he just, it was always understaffed. And there was uh, a couple year period where during the day it was just me and this female coworker of mine and uh, just us two for lunch. And so I would, I, I remember one summer, you know, you, the place is so big that if somebody were seated in the far corner of the patio, yeah, and by the way, there's no computers. Everything's done by hand. Hand tickets. Someone ordered a drink. I had to write the ticket, run it inside, and then run back outside. It was just fucking nuts. And uh, it'd probably be like a, a city block. Well, that's, that's I'm over-exaggerating. Let's say half a city block. <laughs> just to run a fucking drink ticket in. And it was like, I remember one day, it wasn't even that busy, but there was like a dozen tables scattered throughout the entire space that I was taking care of all of them. And it was like I just had to jog the entire fucking shift. And I remember just sweating through my shirt. And at the time, I didn't even think about it. But then I thought, how fucking disgusting must I have looked? Not only were my tables getting shitty service, but they just saw me running around and like sweating through my shirt all day. Like what a fucking nightmare. Isn't it crazy what we accept as normal in certain chapters of our life that when we look back on are fucking insane? Like it was like when I was working there, I worked there for years. And you know, I told myself that it was the people and stuff. And I think some of that's true, but it's also many of us were just sort of lost in our early 20s and we just sort of like you know, whatever we're getting out of that time period, probably drinking, like working at a bar and just kind of like that's a thing. Like if you've ever worked at food service and you get stuck somewhere, it's like everybody's just kind of sad and depressed and things are barely functional, but it's like you you're all kind of friends and you party outside of work and inevitably, that shit bleeds onto the shift, and it's like restaurants are fucking horribly mismanaged usually. You know, I ended up working for a place where the guy was fucking incredible, and um, I don't want to sound too whatever about it. I don't want to say he was like a father figure to me, but he was very fatherly and very paternal. It was—I should just say—he was a good role model for me, and he took incredibly good care of me, and really, you know, I just—I just—I don't—I can't—I don't know if I can say I learned a lot from him. um Although I certainly did. I just mean, he modeled a lot of good behavior for me. It was just very consciousness raising, excuse me, to eventually work at a restaurant that was run that way and with such care and by someone who was just a really good manager. But, uh, I guess I'm just trying to say there are, there are periods of your life where things are insane and, um, exponentially harder than they have to be. And you just sort of accept it as the way life is because, because you don't have that basis of comparison. You know what I mean? Like in some ways I bet it's like being in an abusive relationship or like just a, just a, I I guess we all have these types of experiences with our romantic relationships, which is usually our early relationships are just kind of dysfunctional and chaotic. And it's not until we're in a different relationship where we're like, oh shit, I didn't even know it could be this way. Like things could be different. I remember one time giving someone some advice and I, I've, <laughs> you know, in some ways this is the danger of actually giving advice. I think this person happened to find it helpful, but in some ways the truth is when we give someone else advice, we're, we're both giving ourselves advice and also trying to justify the decisions we've made to ourselves. You know what I mean? Someone's seeking advice about something that we feel like we relate to or that we understand, but at the end of the day, we really don't know. We're just sort of assuming we're hearing someone's story or experiences through the prism of our own experience, and usually, you know, not in a malicious way, we're just sort of assuming that they're going through the same thing. But the truth is, we, we don't know the specifics of what they're going through. Um, just by virtue of the fact that they're a different person, the differences are probably profound. But the point is, is that when we do give someone advice, you know, we're usually both uh, talking to ourselves, but also trying to justify our decisions to ourselves, so I'm imagining, like, if you're looking at like a pr- prospective student, or, or or maybe even, man, to connect some dots. Let's say you're an aspiring musician, or let's say you are sitting across from an aspiring musician, and you are, <laughs> and I've had these experiences. I don't know if I should go into them, but you know, to me, it was sort of comical because I felt like I was such a failure. But there have been there have been numerous times where people have reached out to me for advice about music or whatever. It ranging from, hey, can you listen to the song I've been working on? Or, like, hey, I want to be a musician too. Like, what should I do? Um, I look back on some of the advice I give and I'm sort of like embarrassed that I was uh, as frank as I was. But, you know, that's, I guess it's my, you know, you don't get a certain type of advice. You you sort of ask someone for their feedback and they give it to you no matter what it is. Um, I do remember one time someone reaching out to me and saying, oh, I want to make music and kind of do what you're doing and tour and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, I want to do this as a career or whatever. And I remember one of my points of feedback was, you know, think long and hard about whether or not you want to do this as a career. Because if you can think of, if you can see yourself doing anything else and being reasonably happy, just do that. I mean, I really, and I I still feel that way. Like, if you want to pursue a creative career, if you want to be a musician, if you want to be a filmmaker, if you want to be whatever, if you can see yourself doing anything else, anything else, and being reasonably happy, just do that. (laughs) Just do that. Because, and I realize we're getting on a different fucking topic here, but (laughs) the point is, is that you should do that. Because... I think one can't really anticipate the ways in which having to having your creative outlet become your uh, source of income will f- will pollute it. And I don't just mean that in kind of like a hippy dippy like um, capitalism ruins everything it touches kind of way. I just mean you know the true value of creative work and your creative development has nothing to do with making money. You know, as I get older, I sort of am in some ways <laughs> nervous about, you know, how I talk about the sort of creative act as a, as a spiritual act more and more. And and how you know, because I am, you know, I don't believe in the supernatural, I still consider myself an atheist. But the closest thing to metaphysics or spirituality or whatever, or whatever you want to call it, is artistry and creating. And I think that there are deep and and meaningful and profound ways in which, you know, creating art and inspiration are, are basically the, the closest thing to reality that we have to like these sort of magic, supernatural experiences that we talk about, that there is a way in which the creative act is deeply linked with like being and non-being And like, you know, manifesting things in the world that like, uh, in a way come from like another dimension or a more meaningful dimension or, um, yada, yada, yada. And the point is, is that, you know, when you start thinking about how can I make money out of that, dude, it poisons your well. There's just no way in which I think... I mean, this is interesting to think about. I don't know that there's any way in which one can be a professional creative person and not have that taint their creative output. For example, um, this is wildly spe- speculative to some people, but I believe, you know, I've talked about this in other episodes, but I believe that there is a conversation happening through time. that is a, It's a creative conversation, but I believe it's kind of a spiritual conversation. And I think... You know, there is a chain of uh, creative works that are created that um, basically bear the weight of um, a system of values or a way of thinking that is being um, passed through time. And like any other religious ritual or ceremony, it is the, you know, observation. You know, we talk about like religious observance you know, I hate to bring everything back to never-ending Story, but, <laughs> you know, there's this idea that if the children of the world stop reading or stop imagining, Fantasia dies, right? You'll have to, if you don't know never-ending Story, you'll have to fucking Google that shit yourself. But, you know, I think uh, religion and ceremony and ritual and all that sort of stuff is basically uh, a canonized and codified way of um, sort of cementing our values and like passing them through time, through observance. Because if we don't, can you continue to observe them, they disappear. Uh, I believe that art is the same thing. Um, I believe the real artists are, you know, sibyls and priests. And, uh, I don't mean that they are those things. I mean, they are the closest things to like a real priest or sibyl or whatever the fuck, uh, exists in the world. They, um, you know, are in tune with something and are meant to be consulted and, um, You know, the purpose of an artist is to to remind people what life could be like if only they had the courage to eschew the worldly for a period of time. Maybe not their entire life, right? But that there are more important things in the world than what we usually go about our lives pursuing and uh, pretending to want, honestly, when what we crave is transcendence. You know, I think most of us, we sort of look at the world that we're in and although we want to be successful in a worldly sense, what we really want is transcendence. I think on some level we know that we're living wrong, you know, that, um, you know, society is, is, is almost fundamentally, <laughs> uh, foundationally, um, intrinsically flawed in a profound way that actually, uh, demerits, if that's even a word, but like is deleterious to our s- sort of psycho-spiritual well-being. And, uh, if it were possible, there are profoundly more meaningful ways to spend our lives and although there, I think there are people who actually throw themselves away in their creative pursuits, meaning I think for many people it, it is an escape and, uh, um, you know, uh, it sounds like a weird way to, to say this and who's the person who who is qualified to say, you know, who is uh, truly called and who isn't. But I believe if you pursue it and you're not truly called to it, um, you're kind of throwing yourself away. Um that there is probably something in this world that you are called to do, that if only you could give yourself permission to even consider it, you would be exponentially happier doing that. So anyway, what I'm saying is, you know, for the person who considers, I want to be an artist, I want that to be my job, you should really consider, is that something you really want to do? Because if you can see yourself doing anything else and being successful, that's what you should do. Um... (laughs) I feel like my mind is sort of uh, running up against the matrix here. Like I'm about to touch on the heart or the truth, truth of something in my, um, my uh, polluted brain is like, or my matrix brain or whatever is trying to keep me, keep me in the fucking matrix. And it's starting to unplug wires. Like in a way, like there's some part of my brain that's like that dude. And I don't think it actually happened. Right. Or maybe it did happen. There's a story about Bob Dylan. And I think I started talking about that motherfucker and then went on the fucking, whatever I was just talking about, but, like, that idea of, like, when Bob Dylan was at the Newport Folk Festival and, like, played electric, that some guy tried to take an axe to the soundboard or started unplugging shit. I don't know. I don't know that, that actually happened. Um, but it's that sense. Like, it's like Bob Dylan is the truth, but there's, like, some part of his, like, there's, there's some part of the culture that can't stand the truth, so it tries to dismantle it. Like, that's how my brain works. Like, I do feel like sometimes my mind is about to uh, enter into the sphere of the truth, but there's some... Uh, matrix level malware in my brain that like tries to keep me from, from seeing that. And to just like, uh, in a way, like, uh, another profound movie from my childhood, but, uh, Labyrinth, there's a great, uh, scene sort of right before the falling action of the film <laughs> where, uh, Jennifer Connelly has eaten the peach that sort of forgets, she forgets her mission, right? In a way, of course, you know, these are, of course these films are allegories and very profound and they stick with us because they, they touch on, on, on deeper issues here. There's a great plot line in, um, in some ways it's sort of playing off like the fundamental idea of what, you know, forgetting Fantasia, the world gets destroyed or like that, you know, imaginary world gets destroyed and doesn't exist. The sequel to never ending story is fucking bullshit and it sucks, but there's some kind of cool elements because it's also taken from the book that the original film is based on. But, um, I think her name is Cersei. I can't remember. But basically, every time Bastion makes a wish with the Orin, he like loses a memory. Dude, your boy is talking himself <laughs> into a fucking. I'm mopping myself into a, a conversational corner here. What the fuck am I even talking about? Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, 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 as soon as I started going down that rabbit hole, I thought, hey, weren't you going to talk about Bob Dylan? what was I going to say about Dylan? I was going to say that he's like the spiritual truth. (laughs) All right. All right. Let me finish. Let me just say that thought and then maybe we'll fucking find something else to talk about. But um, I was saying that, uh, you know, there's a part of me that believes. I, I think I do believe this. I'm embarrassed that I do believe it, but I think I actually do. I believe that Bob Dylan was a conduit for something. Like I said, I believe there's a, there's a conversation happening through time and there are individuals who, uh, are in the right place at the right time. And, um, they are the vessel through which this momentum will be continued moving forward for future generations. And I believe that Bob Dylan for a period was that in a very real sense, you know, like, you know, a prophet. And I know that sounds weird to say, but I'm actually trying to recontextualize these words in a way that I think that they actually, not not the way that they're sort of um, exaggerated or made operatic in, you know, religious conversation, you know, but the way that they actually play out in the world in the sense that Jesus Christ, if he lived, you know, was just a prophet or a religious speaker or a guru or something like that. And when they die, history closes around them and they are... Uh, mythologized, and and yada, yada, yada. Same thing about, it is why we like celebrity, etc. We have normal human beings who we attribute supernatural abilities to, but the truth is they're just humans. You know, Bob Dylan was just a dude with a guitar. It's uh, the perception of him in the time period, etc., and their message that makes them larger than life. Anyway, I'm trying to say that I believe genuinely that Bob Dylan was the closest thing to a prophet that uh, his generation had. I do believe he was the voice of a generation in many ways, even though he might not like that term. I believe that uh, he was uh, sort of dethroned by the fact that he was also very successful. (laughs) I I don't think there's anybody who's unpolluted by their success. You know, we all aspire to sort of the Christ-like uh, infallibility. I don't think it's, I, I, I just don't think it's possible. Um, and so I believe that part of Dylan's latter work has been living this kind of like this. I don't know. Some people think this term is anti-Semitic, but there's a kind of a wandering Jew personification in Bob Dylan's latter career, which is, I think Bob Dylan is particularly interesting because even though his output isn't perfect, if you go back and look at his work, there's never a moment where you don't believe that he is doing exactly what he, he feels he needs to be doing. And although it may be misunderstood in the moment that Bob Dylan is doing what he needs to do to get to the next place that, where he will be to usher in the next phase of his development. You know, in the same sense that many of us sort of look back on our lives and say, oh, well, you know what? I don't regret anything because, you know, uh, it took that experience to sort of leave me where I am today. I think that's exponentially harder to do in a creative sense, but I believe, you know, Bob Dylan in every chapter of his life has just sort of followed his creative, creative muse. And I, I use this image of the wandering Jew because I just sort of picture Bob Dylan just kind of wandering alone. You know, of course he has the eyes of uh, tens and hundreds of millions of people, but I see him sort of like, irregardless of the culture, irregardless of the trends, just kind of being wherever he's at and just kind of speaking from, you know, tapping into, you know, wherever his whatever his muse sort of brings to him, he just sort of presents to the world. And it's almost like a, you know, there are times, records like Blood on the Tracks or whatever, where he's largely misunderstood and sort of maligned. And then every 20 years or so, he seems to be in the right place at the right time. And people are convinced that he's sort of in tune with something I think he's uh i think he's a great example of an artist who even though i don't really, I listen to their music and especially their latter music and I don't really enjoy you know I've seen Dylan twice in you know maybe the last ten years or so, and they weren't great shows but again, you're sort of watching a man up on stage who's sort of baffling in a sense you know he's not like uh I don't get the sense that he's delusional like some artists are, where they're just sort of like, you know, they're sort of, they're a clown, just kind of playing the same role. You know, I think Dylan's driven by something else. I think most of what he does is baffling to his audience, but I think he's sort of propelled by something else. You know, he just, you know, I don't know. What the fuck do I know? Whew. What the fuck do I know? As I've said, your boy's been living in dereliction of duty for a long time. One thing I hope to get back in touch with as I uh, enter this new chapter of my life is, um, you know, I don't know, getting back to, uh, I don't know, creating something that's meaningful for me. And, uh, I'm talking about this, like we haven't talked about it. You guys know what I'm talking about if you listen to this podcast regularly, but, um, you know, You know, I think the time is uh, almost up here for the podcast, and um, you know, it's going to be time for me to uh, begin to work on something else. And you know, I don't know. That's that. I, I, I say that, and it's kind of sad because I, you know, again, I think this is sort of my success mentality but i feel like oh well what if i just did like another 100 episodes like maybe the audience would grow maybe maybe i am stopping too soon and maybe if i just you know kept doing it and kept doing it no matter what and i don't know i think there's another voice telling me that there's something else to be done here and uh, even though i don't know what that is i kind of have to be willing to stop doing what i'm doing to sort of allow that to sort of come through so yeah, today I feel like the podcast is about to end. I, th- I think I think we're at the end of our episode here today, so I think I will be wrapping up here very shortly. But I do think, um, I do think episode one hundred will be the last one. You know, my brother said, "Oh, you never interviewed anyone for your podcast," and I was like, "Yeah, of course not." I mean, I considered it, right? I don't know when I started talking about that, but you know, I've always felt insecure about the fact that this podcast is just me talking at you. And there's no guest and there's no real production. And, uh, I certainly don't prepare for them. (laughs) And, uh, I haven't listened to the podcast in 70 episodes or so, (laughs) you know, like there was a period in the beginning where I would listen to them. You know, I think that, I think I listened to the first like dozen pretty regularly and maybe eventually ended up listening to like the first 25, but I just, I, I don't go back and listen to it anymore. And although on the one hand, I feel like, well, if you wanted to make a truly great podcast, that's exactly what you wouldn't do, right? Like you would be going back and listening to it and seeing what you could do better. And that's true. But then I also think, well, this is something else. You know, I call it a podcast because I don't know what else to call it. But the truth is, it's just, it's an exercise. You know, my buddy, Matt Evans, is on the cusp of starting a new creative project. And, uh, you know, how is I going to relate this to this topic? You know, it was just, uh, you know, do the thing that seems the most sustainable and just do it. Because part of, I don't know, this was just an exercise and like, can you show up every week and just do this thing and commit to it and let it be whatever it is? And that's been, you know, that's been hard. Even as I'm sitting here talking, I'm thinking fucking people are fucking bored to tears hearing about this, but... If I could want anything for this podcast or or if it could be anything to you or what I hope someone would get out of it is I hope it's entertaining. I absolutely hope it is. I hope people who listen to this podcast regularly, I know there's a, a you know, I don't know what you picture when I say a fair amount of people, but I'll, there are people who listen to this podcast regularly. I have appreciated it um I assume they know what they're getting out of it. Um but I guess if I could want someone to get anything out of it it's just just you know it's i think this is tony robbins who said like you know people underestimate what or they overestimate what they can accomplish in a year but they underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 and uh i just think it's that type of mentality which is i'm not saying you want to start a podcast but if you just use what you have and start and commit to a process you know, you just get to look up, and and I think here it's been two years. You know, and you have a hundred episodes or something, and it's not that this is great. It just is now, and I and I get I get to say that I've done it. You know, in a way, it's like reading War and Peace. You know, you start on page one like everybody else, but if you just read like. A page a day or the bible you know which your boys read through cover to cover you just start doing it you create a system you work the system and you get to be done eventually and um i th- of course i'm talking to you i'm pretending to talk to, to you but like the rest of this podcast i'm really talking to myself and so i think the lesson to be learned there is you know like with this new creative project I want to start off. I just need to begin, oh, connecting so many dots. Like when I was talking about Chinese Cabin test review, the hardest thing to do is to start. But once you start, you can mull it over and say, oh, I want to kick the can out of the road. I don't want to start. There's so many other things I want to do, like play video games. Oh, I didn't even mention that video game I started playing. We'll see if, uh, well, I'll just mention it very quickly. It's a game called Gris. It's a very beautiful, but so far very boring video game that I've been playing. But uh check it out for yourself. You might think it's interesting. But the point is, is like you can hem and haw, but when you get to work, just commit. And uh, you know, make sure it's sustainable. Just make sure it's something that you can do every day. Because that's what it's gonna take. It's gonna take consistent, concerted effort. Um, you know, I saw a post recently like like the best mask for your child for coronavirus is the one that they're going to wear, right? So it doesn't matter how technically brilliant it is. If it's uncomfortable and the kid's not going to wear it, it's actually not fucking safe at all. It's like exercise. The best exercise is the one you do. Yeah, if you ran a marathon every day, would you be in better health? Well, I don't know if you could say that objectively, but you know what I'm saying. Like if you wanted to lose weight, yes. If you just had a perfect diet and worked out every day, that would be a fucking awesome way to lose weight. But if that's not in the cards for you, You're not going to lose weight that way. So that's not the standard you should be holding yourself to. If you're genuinely at the place where if you could just commit to walking for 30 days, or for 30 days, for 30 minutes, three to five times a a week, do that. Just do that. Just commit to that. Is it, you know, running? (laughs) Is it running for 30 minutes, five days a week? No. But if that's not in the cards for you, It doesn't matter. So yeah, maybe it takes you a little longer to lose the weight, but um, you get to look up and have done it, right? And that's better than just kind of keep still doing what you're doing. The point is to let go what you think you should be doing and what other people, what you think other people want for you and the best way to do it and just uh, do it in a way that that it's going to get done, you know? I think that's a good thing to keep in mind for this next uh, creative project, which which is, I think so much of what I was able to tell myself to not do it is, oh, I need this, and I need that, and I need, I would need this, and I would need to do that. Well, what if I just used everything that I had? You know, uh, it would be very, very different than what I had in my head, but at least it would get made, and it would be whatever it is. You know? It would be. <laughs> right? And if that is, uh, connecting another dot here, but that is what an artist does is they create, they don't, you know, you know, there's no law that says your video has to be 1080p or even white balanced or color corrected, or that the record that you make, it has to have what is it? Floor noise or something like that. doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be anything. We look at the external industry standards or whatever. And of course we think, oh, for this to sell, it has to look this way and yada, yada, yada. And and that all might be true, but an artist creates. And if you're an artist first, you create the things they get to be, you bring them into being, right? God said, let there be light. Let there, if you're a musician, let there be music, right? You have to make the music. It doesn't matter what It's your creation right? It gets to be, but you have to, you have to, it has to be. If you're a filmmaker, you have, it has to bring into being films. It has to be music. It has to be dance. It has to be a painting. It has to be a podcast. It has to be a play. Um, but it has to be. Anyway, I think we're at the end of our time here. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can <laughs> on Apple podcasts, Spotify, take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars or don't. It doesn't really matter, right? If we're actually going to end here, it actually doesn't matter. This will just be a repository for whatever this was. And uh, people can go back and comb through it if they wish. Uh, if you'd like to, you know, watch the video podcast, you can on our website, This is thisismpod.com. Um uh, I think, uh, I will probably wait until the 100th episode, but I also have, uh, about twenty-five video episodes, or, or so, that uh, were never posted that I will make public uh, for people who want to go back and watch those if they wish. Um, but other than that, it, it just uh, it means a lot that you listened. And if you're listening to this right now and you sat through this episode, thank you for your time. It's uh, not something I take lately. I know there's plenty of other things you could be doing, and uh, I just hope there was something here that was uh, helpful to you or meaningful. And um, you know. I guess that's about the most I can ask for so um until next week thank you for listening thank you for your time and ciao for now